Blog Talk Radio. Hi and welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. Keith Aquant is a documentary filmmaker, distribution strategist, and educator. He's the founder of Show and Tell, which helps filmmakers connect with their audience and make money through coaching and its virtual screening platform. Over his 12-year career as a documentary filmmaker, Keith produced three films that appeared on PBS and Netflix. In addition to producing, he's advised hundreds of filmmakers on developing and executing successful film distribution and audience engagement campaigns. Publications like IndieWire, Documentary Magazine, and No Film School have featured his his distribution work. And you can learn more about Keith and his work helping filmmakers host virtual events and learn about his educational work focused on pitching and launching powerful partnerships at his website, showandtell.film. And Carol, I understood you uh, took two classes with Keith and Peter Broderick on distribution. Yes, I did, Claire. And Keith, thank you. I really want you to know how much I enjoyed those classes on distribution. I'm impressed with the time and the detail that the two of you took to teach us all of these new concepts. And and I really liked the unique outline of the class. Uh, The breakout rooms were fun because we got to meet other filmmakers and learn about their success or their failures because you learn from either one. And so I really want our audience to know that I highly recommend your class, Peter's class, and I want um, to know if you're going to have another one in the fall. Is that a possibility, Keith? <laughs> well, thanks for having me on, Carol. I really appreciate it, and I, and, and I commend you for all of the work that you do to help filmmakers fundraise and to get their films into the world. And I think we as a community of storytellers um, – benefit from experience and leadership like yours. So thank you, and, and thank you for your kind words about the work that Peter and I do. Um, we are talking about doing another class. The details are still um, up in the air. I think, um, like many of you out there, <laughs> where you know Peter just went on his first trip out of town with his wife since uh, getting vaccinated and, and COVID entering this new sort of whatever this is. Um, and uh, And so we're sort of enjoying the summer a little bit, but we're already talking about another one, so we'll keep you posted. Great. That's very important. Well, what I'd like to do today is cover some of the things that you and Peter taught in the distribution class and your new platform, showandtell.film. So let's start with the new world of distribution that you and Peter Broderick teach because uh, the class started with designing your strategy and how important it is to customize a hybrid strategy. So could you share some of that with us? Absolutely, Carol. I think this is a big fundamental idea, and I want to take just a step back. I met Peter. um, You know, Peter and I are from different generations. We're totally different careers. Um, Peter and I teach and advise filmmakers together, um, but before we started working side by side, um, I was a filmmaker. For 12 years, I made my living um, telling stories, making documentaries. I was lucky enough to, um, to, to tell three fantastic stories I cared a lot about. And um, when I was trying to navigate distribution and fundraising, I hired Peter um, to, to give me advice. And so that's how we got to know each other. He helped open my eyes to so many more new opportunities out there um, in distribution. Distribution is changing. It's changing so fast. It changed, you know, 15 years ago when I first started making documentaries. It's still changing. I don't know if it's changing faster now or then or 15 years before that, but it's constantly changing. And to your question about hybrid strategy, 
I would define a hybrid strategy as one, <laughs> the most effective way to think about getting your film into the world and to fundraise. I think distribution and fundraising are really hand in glove together. And I think if you're successful at this new approach to distribution we'll be talking about today, you'll be more effective at raising funds, um, selling your film, generating revenue. Um, and the other, the other, the ways I would define hybrid strategy are in two kind of fundamental ways. One, big picture. Big picture, a hybrid strategy is one that's all about splitting your rights and retaining control as the filmmaker. And so what that means is you can work with some of the traditional distributors or, you know, avenues for distribution, but you're also going to retain the ability to fundraise and release your film and build your audience and even connect, just connect with your audience on your own terms. So that's why we call it hybrid. Do some of the old and some of the new. And, um, you know, I did this with my films. And when I embraced, fully embraced a, a, a hybrid strategy, for my latter films, they were much more successful. We made much more money, and we reached a larger audience. And fundamentally, it was more rewarding um, to go through that process with a hybrid strategy. We, we got our film broadcast on PBS nationally. We did make a streaming deal with Netflix. But, but with, with my last film, we also prioritized um, a more uh, unique and kind of you know, newer, less traditional approach to distribution and fundraising. We worked with nonprofit and corporate partners that believed in the message of our film. AARP was the biggest one. They ended up putting up over $250,000 to support a, a series of live events, virtual events, and they sponsored our PBS broadcast. You may have heard, you know, sponsors on PBS where they say, this program was brought to you by, and it was AARP and a few other companies. So we did a bit of both, and that helped us reach the largest audience and make the most revenue. The second way I'd define hybrid strategy, besides that big picture of splitting your rights and retaining control, is also thinking about this new kind of crazy hybrid world we live in. We all live in a hybrid world, especially, you know, with the stage of the pandemic. We're going to restaurants again. We're going outside. We're seeing friends. We may even be going back to the workplace, and um, and our kids are going back to school. You know, we're we're re-entering a live world, but the digital world is not going away. The digital world was here. The virtual world was here before COVID, before the pandemic. Um, you know, the the rise of Netflix is because there's been a rise in this virtual streaming world, especially for documentary. And I'm a documentary filmmaker. Audiences expect to be able to stream films from the comfort of their home. Less and less documentary fans, even in this golden age of documentary, are going to theaters to see documentaries. They're streaming at home. And, um, and I think the other way you should think about a hybrid strategy is harnessing the best of the live world, which is reawakening, and the best of the virtual world which we've lived in for the last, you know, 16 months because there are things worth integrating in our strategy moving forward from both. So the best of the hybrid and the best of the old world is what you want to take into the future. That's part of what you would call a hybrid strategy, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think a hybrid strategy just means, you know, maybe the simplest way to put it, is the hybrid strategy is, is kind of like a customized strategy. The opposite of a hybrid strategy is maybe a, a traditional strategy. And a traditional strategy is let's make our film and let's try to make an all-right deal late night at a film festival when we have our premiere, the global deal, and one company, one, one set of suits takes our film and you know brings it to the world and we get in exchange a couple money bags <laughs> and we're and we live happily ever after. You know, that that is not only a traditional kind of way of thinking, but it's also a faulty way of thinking. I think it's a, I think it's mythology really. And a hybrid strategy is about customizing your strategy. It's about taking a little bit of, you know, this, a little bit of that a little bit of the live world, a little bit of the virtual world, a little bit of working with distributors, a little bit of working with partners, 
perhaps going to festivals, but also thinking about conferences um, and, 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 you know, maybe thinking about making a VOD deal, but also selling through your website so you can collect names and emails of your fans. So to me, a hybrid strategy is kind of a fluid term. And the way I want the listeners to all think about it is it's a strategy that's custom to what you need for your film. And what you need for your film is a strategy that will help you generate the most revenue for your film so you can do this as your profession. You don't have to have a side gig. You don't have to have commercial work because so many of us do um, or marry well. <laughs> and, um, and then, and then another, another aspect of a hybrid strategy is, um, you know, reaching the largest and the right audience. You know, we make documentaries. We want to nudge the world in a better direction. Impact is important. Conversations that our films start are important. And I think a hybrid strategy helps us reach the right people, spark conversations, important conversations, especially in this troubled world, and, and, and generate revenue along the way so you can pour as much of yourself as you can into getting your film into the world. Okay, so let's just do an example. For example, you might have, um, you might sell the international distribution, uh, mm-hmm. and you would, let's say you also sell domestic, but you keep um, your windows that you love, which are your uh, virtual screenings, uh, your um, educational and your community screenings, something like that. Would that be virtual? I mean, that would be your customized hybrid strategy? Absolutely, Carol. That's a perfect example. You know, I I, I don't want listeners to get too concerned about the terminology. These are just terms, you know, hybrid, custom. You know, these are just ways to try to convey a concept. And the concept fundamentally is get your film into the places where people are going to care most. And when we think of our distribution in a monolithic way, our distribution is one thing. It's an all rights deal and it's, you know, global and it goes to one company and they control it all. That's a lot of control. And that's not what I advocate. That is not a custom or or hybrid strategy. What I advocate is doing exactly what you just walked 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 the listeners through. And that's thinking in a more nuanced way about how we release our film into the world. You mentioned windows. You know, windows are an important concept. Windows, we go through windows during this, our filmmaker journey. We go through pre-production, production, post-production, and then distribution. But once we're in distribution, it's don't look at it in a monolithic way. Think of it in terms of windows. Windows are just stages of your distribution. The old ways to think about windows are, you know, the basic definition is this process in chronological order. Festival window, where we have our premiere, we do the festival circuit, we collect laurels, a theatrical window, a television window, a consumer release. It used to be on DVDs. Now it's mostly on VOD and different avenues of video on demand. And then international. International doesn't have to be at the end. It kind of floats. And same with television. It doesn't have to be, you know, towards the end, but generally it's after theatrical and before a consumer release. So that those are the windows of your distribution. And so a hybrid strategy, you know, the way, the way Peter and I always talk about it is a distributor who's great at a theatrical release. They're not going to be that good at securing you a television deal. Or if they're really good at television, they're probably not going to be that great. If they're good at television in, in the United States, they're probably not going to be that great at securing television deals in Finland and Brazil, which can be pretty lucrative for filmmakers. It had been in, with my films in the past and many other filmmakers still. And so, um, so if you make a deal with a single distributor, then you are not taking a hybrid approach. Rather, you are giving you're placing all your faith that this company can bring your film 
and maximize your audience and your revenue at all these different windows, at all these different stages of distribution. And so what we advocate is a hybrid approach where you split your rights. I mentioned at the top how I define a hybrid strategy. Big picture is splitting your rights, splitting your rights and retaining control. So, um, you know, there are some uh, organizations like um, uh, the Film Collaborative that actually help filmmakers make the most of festivals. Work with them if they're willing to work with you. Um, but they're probably not going to want to make a consumer release deal for you, you know. Um, or if you're working with Obramarama, um, Richard Obramowitz, for your theatrical, you're probably not going to want to work with him and work with Obramarama for, you know, making your international deals. Um, it, it, working, splitting your rights and, and helping these organizations who are really expert at certain things, certain stages, certain windows, make the most of those windows, but allow you to work with others or work yourself um, to make the most of those rights. Because one of the saddest things I see again and again, even at Sundance, when I, when I go to Sundance and I meet filmmakers who have a fantastic film, they've done it. They've got a premiere at Sundance with their documentary. But then they make an all rights deal. And, you know, the film is about science fairs. And there are so many possibilities in educational sales, at conferences, with corporate sponsors, with nonprofit partnerships. But because they made an all rights deal with an org a company that doesn't care about any of those things, or they don't have the know-how or the staff to do to make the most of those things where the film would do great, um, then the, the filmmaker, the, those rights don't get exploited. And they just, the right. film is just on a streaming platform or somewhere else. This, I, I'm at the hub of the wheel here with so many films under us being sponsored. And I'm here to tell you the horror stories that filmmakers give me where they are so excited and they are pushed into signing quickly because we're printing the catalog. If you don't get in now, we're, you won't. We won't do it again for six months. So use all of these reasons to make you feel that you have to quickly sign it. And then you're stuck, and they don't make any money, Keith. And it's a shame, and they can't get out of it. And one of the greatest things in the class was listening to Peter talk about uh, contracts. Mm -hmm. Now, I took copious notes of contracts because this is where filmmakers get in trouble. And he, the guidance he gave was brilliant and very clear and succinct. So I gave that to one of my filmmakers who has a fabulous film, but it is a niche market film. And she was, going, she was talking to a distributor, and there were like five key points that he said – and I'll be darned, she asked for all five, and she got them. She got all five. I said, it can't be. <laughs> so I read the whole thing very carefully. She even got him to agree to pay for all the marketing materials instead of making her pay. Uh, mm -hmm. That was one of the things in there. She got a one-year contract uh, that could be renewed. But that way, if, if this guy didn't do uh, what she expected, she could get out of the contract. Um, and it was because she asked. Uh, you know, she is not the world's greatest negotiator. She just gave him her list of what she wanted, and he immediately changed the contract. So that tells me she's got a very good film. There's money in it, right? Absolutely. I, I think that... You know, Carol, I think you're making a really important point for the listeners. I think, you know, I think that distributors aren't bad people. Like, there are great distributors. I consider some friends, and they do have the best interest of filmmakers in mind in many cases. There are some that are a bit less um, focused on the best interest of the filmmakers. And, um, and I think that, uh, you know, sometimes... Um, and, and they perhaps in many cases, filmmakers are um, taken advantage of by distributors leveraging fear and haste. Fear that if haste. you don't make this deal, no one will ever want to you know, get the film in the world and no one will ever see it. You work four years, seven years on this film. The thought of that is just, it makes you shudder and it's devastating. 
So the fear of not making a deal and taking a bad deal over no deal is some, sometimes leverage that distributors, unscrupulous distributors, will, will, will make. I think haste is what you're talking about, too. Hey, train's leaving. You know, there's plenty of filmmakers <laughs> waiting in line to make a deal. Like, are, is this, do we have a deal? And yeah, okay. Peter and I always say unequivocally, no deal is better than a bad deal. A right. bad deal will create more heartache for you than you would ever think is possible. It's And some of these deals are long, and clawing back rights is excruciating. So um, I think that, you know, I think you make a really good point, Carol, that um, the best antidote for um, for a distributor um, making a deal that's not in your best interest as the filmmaker is knowledge, understanding that you can ask for things. You can push back. If they really want your film, you know, you can ask for what you would like. They can always say no, and it can be a negotiation, or they can give you half the loaf. But if they're going to walk away just because you ask for something that's fair, then they probably didn't have, they probably don't value your film as much as you might think. Um, so in a way, I think negotiating for, th- for, for things that are fair, rights that are fair, things that you know that they're not going to use um, or, you know, rights that they're not going to make the most of and exploit, ask for, you know, ask for things that, that, are, that are fair and their response will perhaps illuminate how good of a distributor they, they will, you know, how, how well they'll perform as they release your film. Absolutely. And uh, it's knowledge is power. This is where it really shows up is in the legal side. I, I didn't know that Peter was a lawyer in his other life, as he puts it. So that helped. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, he, 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 doesn't, he doesn't wear that on his sleeve. But he was a public defender in Washington, D.C. In, in the 80s and um, was lured to Los Angeles by um, Terrence Malick. And um, and some other filmmakers that he had worked with, and um, and since then has really learned the ins and outs of how to negotiate for a contract, how to split your rights, how to execute a hybrid strategy. And um, I'm glad you took notes, and I think that there's a lot that we covered in that class. But the big picture is for filmmakers, for all of you listening, you know, just read the contract first and foremost. And if there's something you don't understand, you have two options. You can ask them to explain it to you. And if they can't explain it to you, then ask them to cut it out. (laughs) Two, um, you can hire an attorney. uh, And there are good attorneys out there. um, and, um, And they don't have to be terribly expensive. But really, you know, this contract, when you're negotiating a contract, make sure you understand it. Have the, as Carol pointed out, there's a few things that she pointed out in her example that are fabulous from the filmmaker she, she, uh, she, she mentioned. One, make the contract as short as possible. <laughs> make it as short as possible because you get, with the chance for renewal, that gives you the chance as the filmmaker to retain control. Because remember at the top I said a hybrid strategy is about splitting your rights, but also retaining control and having the ability to say, you know what, distributor, you did a good job. I want to keep working with you. Or, you know what, you've just been a deadbeat. I need to move on. Um, that gives you a lot of control. So as short of a period as possible, a year, two years, it, I, I, I get so heartbroken when I hear about a filmmaker who made a deal with a distributor who's p- performing poorly, and it's a seven-year deal or something. Um, the other thing is limit the rights. You can think about, think about things in terms of windows, um, so limiting the rights that they control completely. And it is control. It's not like you get, you know, sometimes contracts will say the filmmaker has input. That means they have control. So limit the control as much as possible. Give you as much control as possible. Also, control can be translated into geography. Don't make a global mm-hmm. deal with a company that only has a track record in North America. Don't make a North American deal if they only have a track record in America. <laughs> you know, so that's another way to think about it. limit it as much. Give yourself as much control as possible. Short, have the terms be as sh- as short as possible, and um, and make sure that th- you understand. Um, and then there are other. The one other thing I'll point out, Carol mentioned as well, is 
with have the distributor bear as much cost as possible two ways mark the most expensive thing that you can get billed for as the filmmaker or for marketing expenses if you can have the distributor cover marketing that's a big win number two delivery delivery can get expensive and if you can make sure that you're only delivering and it can be stressful make sure that you can if you can negotiate to only deliver what you really need rather than a long list of boilerplate things that they would like um, and then if they can help cover some of those costs um, then I think you're you know in a in a pretty solid position exactly right but see it's uh, uh, you have to empower filmmakers with the information first so they know they can go in there and get it because even sometimes you talk to lawyers and you say I'm not going to give this up or that up the lawyers will say to you oh no they're never going to take the deal so you have to be ahead of your lawyer and tell them this is what I want really you have to go in there empowered by knowing it can be done right absolutely Absolutely. I think that um, dis- distributors who are sitting on the other side of the negotiation table, they're hoping that you will just cede troll or trust to them to make the best deal possible for you. You know, their boilerplate language is going to benefit them. Um, asking questions does not mean you're being a pain in the butt. It just means that you're advocating for what you need. And it will, honestly it'll earn you respect. And I think that's important. You know, you're not a filmmaker that can just be another line item in their catalog. And I think, I think that's important um, because ultimately the more time and energy and, op- and possibilities that a distributor sees with your film, mm-hmm. the more likely they're going to put resources into it. And, that, and, and I want to make a side point to that, Carol, if you don't mind. Um, you know, so, some filmmakers... Um, go to a distributor with a good film that the distributor wants. And, and you know, often filmmakers feel innately like the distributor holds all the cards. They've got the money. They've got the promotional power. Um, but you have something valuable. You have the film that they want. And if they don't want it, it's better you know and you find someone else. Or you don't make a deal with them. But two, another way that you can add more value and strength to and confidence to the to your negotiation if you choose to work with distributors is to go to them with a clear sense of the opportunities that your film might have. So for instance, even if your aspiration is to work is to get a Netflix deal, even if your aspiration is to make some sort of deal with the distributor who's going to take your film. If during the promotion, if during pre-production, production and post, you're able to start to build your audience, if you're already, if you've started working with partners, if you've shared your film at conferences, a work in progress cut, the trailer of your film at conferences, in your target audience, in your niche, in that place where your work, you've, you've, you've identified the most enthusiastic fans of your film, whether they're a certain profession, they live in a certain geography, they're a certain age or gender or have certain, you know, hobby interests. If you go to that distributor and you say, listen, our film is like catnip for accountants. I don't really know what kind of documentary that would be, but I'm sure those exist. <laughs> you know, our film drives accountants crazy. They love it. We did, you know, uh, test screenings with the, Cal- the Los Angeles, you know, chapter of Accountant Association. They loved the film. They invited us to their conference where we screened the trailer and did a Q&A. We had, you know, 100 people sign up, CPAs sign up for our email list. Um, we even had the accounting firm Deloitte give us a grant. To to get the uh, to finish the um, color correction for the film, and they're interested in doing a screening for their board of directors. If you go, if you're coming, if you're if you're reaching picture lock with mm-hmm. that clarity of who your target audience is and who might be some partners, maybe you've gone to a conference or two, you're going in there with in a position of strength. You're telling the distributor, listen, 
I know some, I know my film is good, and I know my film has an audience, and it's a big audience. There's a lot of accountants out there. <laughs> right. And um, we would like to make a deal. These are the things we need. Oh, this is a crappy deal? Hmm. I'll go to a different distributor. Or you know what? Maybe I'll do my own distribution. I've talked to these wild and wacky people, Peter and Keith, and they say I can do it myself. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think that, you know, my advice to filmmakers is don't put your eggs in a basket. And that's a critical, in one basket, that's a critical part of hybrid. Hybrid, by definition, means doing different things. You know, it means in taking a bit of this, taking a bit of that, putting it together, making it hybrid. And I think that while you're, while you're, you know, we make documentaries. While we're waiting for that big shoot to come up, it's in, it's in you know, April of 2022. God, we're, you know, we're just in post-production. We're editing. We want to get the rough cut done. We'll drop in the new footage. While we're waiting, let's make a pitch deck. Let's, you know, let's send it out to a couple people. Let's share our trailer our, or, you know, a work in progress six-minute extended teaser you know, to a few people. Let's see if we can understand who our film is for. Maybe let's even apply for a grant, not to ITVS or Sundance, because, you know, your chances are you're better off just applying to Harvard Business School and getting in there. But, you know, let's apply to, um, you know, a foundation that cares about our target audience. Let's let's reach out to a company that is, you know, uh, that employs a lot of people that are in our target audience. Our film is about intellectual disabilities, Let's reach out to the biggest, you know, intellectual disabilities foundation. They don't fund films, but they fund programs related to this. They'll probably like our film. Maybe they could use our film at their conference or in their programming. Um, our shoot's not for a couple months. We've got a little bit of time. We've got this associate producer that's on, you know, that, that we're paying, doesn't really have a ton of work. Let's reach out. So, you know, that's part of my thinking is, you know, with hybrid, it's it's about – it's about looking for what are the it's about customizing your strategy so that you are making the most of what your of your distribution and fundraising customized to what your film's needs are or who your film's audience is. Right. Well, there's two things. That was brilliant. Thank you very much for that. Uh, two things that you're talking about here that we want to introduce to the audience. That is uh, the pitch deck uh in general. How do you create a pitch deck when the film isn't finished, but uh, you want to reach out to your key audience? So let's talk about the key audience, I think, first, and how how to identify them and then get into the pitch deck, if it's okay with you, please. Oh, absolutely. Um, well, let's, yeah, let's, I think the fundamental um, – we all know the food pyramid is, you know, BS. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> yeah. but, but I think there's a there's kind of like a hybrid distribution, hybrid strategy pyramid. So let's swap out, you know, 100 servings of grains uh, at the bottom of the found of the bottom of the pyramid, and let's swap in audience, fundamental, the foundation for an effective distribution strategy. It's understanding who you're, understanding your audience, what they, why, you know, who they are, with specificity, perhaps ideally, why they like your film, and that will illuminate how to reach more people like them. There's no such thing as a general audience. I think audience. We should all see audiences in terms of target audiences, key audiences, niche audiences, whatever we want to call it. But really, it's about a definable group of people. And a definable, you know, sometimes filmmakers come to me and they say, hey, what, who's your target audience? And they'll say, women. I'm like, okay. So that's 4 billion people. Um, so uh, let's see if we can narrow it down a little bit more. <laughs> you know, there was a film I advised um, that was about service dogs, um, uh, uh, helping PTSD-stricken veterans. And, you know, uh, when I started advising the film team, I said, who's your target audience? They're like, veterans. I'm like, hmm, okay, <laughs> veterans. So that's, that's, a, that's a lot of people. Um, and there are maybe, I don't know, 150 documentaries that veterans <laughs> about veterans' issues. Perhaps 
your film has another side of it that's really unique, service animals. Perhaps there's another connection point that we can sort of start defining with more specificity who our target audience is. So working with the team, we start looking into service animal organizations. But again, our film is not just about service animals. It's about service animals and how they help veterans and kind of the human-animal connection um, when it comes to mental health health illnesses and, and trauma. And so I always think of audiences and the place you want to be as a filmmaker is thinking of your audience in terms of Venn diagrams. Okay, now you have a pyramid and a Venn diagram in your head. I'm sorry, but <laughs> I'm a visual person. So, um, so with this film team, I said, listen, we want to find out where the service animal world, which is a large world, thankfully, and the veteran world overlap. And there is overlap. And then the filmmaker said to me, oh, God, that sounds like a really small audience. Is that, like, are we going to be able to get our film into the world with just such a small audience? I'd say, listen, your film is going to appeal to more better, you know, it's going to appeal to more people than just this target audience. But this target audience, this small, definable group of people is going to be the key to understanding the rest of our strategy, at least when it comes to pitching partners, raising funds, and at this stage, understanding with specificity who our most enthusiastic fans are. The best way to exhaust yourself as a filmmaker is to have an expansive, broad idea of who your audience is. It's women. Where do you begin? Women's groups? Is that going to work? You know, mother, you know, um, soccer mom groups, professional women, CEO, female CEO groups. You know, there's, it, where do you begin? And so with the filmmaker, the filmmaker with the service dog documentary, what we did is we identified a handful of organizations dedicated to helping connect veterans with service animals, service dogs. And that was a smart decision because what we did in this small definable organization is we found out not just who the, the nonprofits were, but we also looked at who are their funders. Nonprofits often have funders. Who are the influencers that are, you know, on social media with a lot of followers and really active? What, in this case, for this film, what legislators in Washington, D.C. and in state legislatures were advocating for funding for service animals for PTSD-stricken veterans? And being very specific allowed us to identify fantastic partners. So this was during production and post-production that we were having this conversation, that we're trying to define who's at the bottom of the pyramid, who, who is the foundational group of people we're going to build the strategy for. And so when we, got, when we got further along, we had footage to share, and when we got to picture lock and it was time to think about distribution, we had lined up funding from Purina, which actually was sponsoring a lot of service dog organizations and specifically service dog organizations for veterans. Um, who knows what their motivations were? Like, yeah, they want to sell dog food and they, you know, thought that it could be good PR and that sort of thing. But whatever their motivations, they liked our film and they were funding other organizations in that space. So we went to them and they fund, they, they put up $25,000 to sponsor some, some events. Another thing the filmmakers did, they targeted lawmakers in D.C. and state legislatures that were trying to pass legislation to get more support for veterans groups and, and getting service dogs. They ended up doing a screening in Washington, D.C. at the U.S. Capitol introduced by Nancy Pelosi, Speaker Pelosi, because she was wow. um, involved with legislation about this, and she just personally cared. So, so none of these things would have happened if we just kept our research vague of, okay, this film is about, you know, PTSD. Okay, let's look at PTSD organizations. PTSD organizations weren't actually interested partners. Service dogs. Service dog organizations weren't exactly our interested partners. It was actually the combination. And even though it was a small, definable audience, it led to a lot of very powerful partnerships, which allowed us to saturate our first small target audience, and then grow from there. And eventually, that film team ended up making a Netflix deal 
They ended up making a television deal. They ended up doing a lot where they reached a lot of people and they reached their core audience and generated revenue. And the way they got to your question, Carol, about pitch decks, so once the filmmakers understood their target audience and who to reach, they'd figured out the bottom of the pyramid, the foundation. Then it was all about raising awareness for who, uh, raising awareness with those target ar- tar- target audiences. So one thing they did was I worked with them to create a, what I call a pitch deck. It's really mm-hmm. simple, two two page document. There's some nice photos. There's a couple nice quotes. We even made this thing before the film was done, and so there are no quotes from the New York Times or anything like that. It was quotes from people in the film, talking heads from the film, a quote from a veteran, um, a nice description of the film, a description of why the message was important about how veteran suicide was is out of control and over-medication is clearly not working. Service dogs, service animals can be a helpful, non-medical way to help people suffering from trauma. Um, and, you know, and we just made that clear in this simple pitch deck. And I have a I have a basic format that I use, but it's two pages, four sections. What your film is about, short synopsis, no more than 150 words. What's your film's message? No more than 150 words. Page two, what's your vision for your distribution? You know, you want to reach large audiences on television and on streaming platforms, but you also want to reach veterans organizations and VA hospitals. You want to work with lawmakers to help them advocate for this policy. You want to work with schools and service dog organizations. So that's sharing your vision for your distribution in a specific target audience way. And the final section is tell the person reading the deck about yourself. Tell us a little bit about the filmmaker. You know, one paragraph, a little bit about your background. So with simple tools like a pitch deck, Filmmakers are able to build these powerful partnerships that can lead to revenue and to audiences in special high-profile events. And, um, you know, I think your trailer, your pitch deck, your website are really the three tools you need. Then it's all about what I call smiling and dialing. It's just reaching out, picking up the phone, sending emails, um, and being what I call politely persistent. You know, they're not going to say yes on the first try. Reach out a couple times. They'll ignore you the first couple. And then maybe on the third or fourth email, they say, hey, this looks interesting. I had a minute to take a look at your trailer. I like it. Let's talk and take it from there. Great. That's it. <clears throat> you know, in the class Tom Malloy and I teach, Tom Malloy says, um, go until no. <laughs> you know, and then when they say no, Tom says, well, okay. But what about the next film I do? Should I contact you then? And they always say, of course, of course, I'll listen to whatever you have. But uh, you just keep going back as if you know they're interested because they haven't said no. Then keep going. I think that's a good plan. Well, um, so... Now, let's talk about these conferences, because you told us a story of going to a conference uh, and how you found your audience uh, through conferences uh, for one of your films. Uh, And I found it was important that you you went to some conferences and, and showed it in groups where... You thought that was the core audience, but it wasn't. You had to start all over again. So you, it's finding when you find it, you'll know, right? Absolutely. I I think conferences are one of the the least known and perhaps most powerful <laughs> distribution and fundraising tool for for filmmakers. Conferences. If you think about what a what a conference is, a conference is a gathering of people that share an interest or a profession or a hobby. Sometimes conferences gather people from across the city, across a state, across the country, even internationally in some cases. If you think about what a festival is, a festival is really about gathering people in a geographic area who love film. So they might like your film, but they might not really care a ton about the topic of your film. They might have been inspired in the moment and maybe even be willing to donate if you ask them. But they're not engaged in that topic. They're not a leader in their community on that topic. And conferences 
if you go to the right conference, there could be a thousand people in the room, and every one of those people could be in a part of a profession or have a hobby or an interest that is just aligned perfectly with the topic of your film, and therefore they might want to host their own event. They might want to um, buy an educational license of your film for $500. They may want your discussion guide. They might even be a company that cares so much about the topic that they want to sponsor your PBS broadcast and get one of those, this program was brought to you by so-and-so messages, which can be sold for, you know, between twenty dollars and $150,000. All the money goes to you, by the way, the filmmaker. That's called PBS underwriting. I talk about that a lot with show and tell. And, you know, a conference allows you to not only connect with all these people that could potentially be advocates, evangelists, supporters of your film, but they also can tell you that they're not interested in your film. And I think that's what Carol's talking about. Conferences sometimes can be a secret weapon for identifying or crossing off your list a target audience that you thought was right for you. Now, I learned this the hard way. I um, produced my last film, which is about the Senior Olympics, and went through almost the entire production and post-production process convinced, convinced, convinced that my audience were senior athletes because that's who we featured in the film. And as we got close to distribution, with that hubris <laughs> and confidence, I had a very humbling experience going to a senior athletic organi- uh, a senior athletic competition. There were 10,000 senior athletes there over 50. I thought, boy, this is going to blow the doors open. We're going to reach all these people. We're going to connect with sponsors. We're going to sell a bunch of educational licenses. We're going to have a packed theater because they gave us a, the organizers gave us a theater space. It, you, it was the loudest, there were the loudest crickets in the emptiest theater that I'd ever seen. <laughs> and it was just so devastating. And I like to share this because people sometimes will see my success in the past as a filmmaker and say, oh, well, Keith, yeah, he's a golden child. He's got all the, you know, he got lucky. And uh, It's like, no, I made a lot of mistakes. And perhaps the biggest mistake I try to teach filmmakers about is um, to, to test your assumptions about your audience. And a conference is a great place to do that. If you have a bunch of people that care about this, the issue at the core of your film, you, you're convinced they're your audience, maybe there's a conference happening across town or even like a four or five hour drive away. Maybe the conference planners can't even pay you, but you want to show your trailer, you're in post-production, you're getting close to distribution, you're feeling pretty good that this is your target audience, but you haven't tested it yet. Go. Share your trailer. Talk to, talk to people. And they'll let you know um, if they're interested. And I learned this lesson another way, too, after learning it the hard way myself. Um, and then I should say the happy ending for my conference strategy for my Senior Olympics film is I connected with uh, a friend from my gym, uh, when I lived in Sacramento, my hometown, I connected uh, with a friend from the gym who who helped run a senior living community. And he said, ah, come show your film at, at our community. It seems interesting. And I, I didn't think anything of it. I didn't think the senior living world was interested in our film because most people in senior living communities often aren't pole vaulting. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but they loved our film. And, and, and I was like, huh, that's interesting. So I reached out to a local senior living community conference, and they loved my film. I didn't make any money at this conference, but I confirmed my assumption. And then I went to the big one. I went to a big senior living conference. I had to fly across the country to D.C. for it. And this conference blew the doors open for my distribution. There were 8,000 people in the audience, and they gave me seven minutes. I showed my two-minute trailer. I talked for five minutes about not just the film, but I said, and if you would like to host your own screening, well, we've done screenings with other senior living communities. They love the film. They love the inspiring message. If you'd like to host your own event, let us know. And that conference itself helped me raise over $100,000 in paid speaking gigs where I was getting paid 
a few thousand dollars a pop to come do a Q&A from Fargo to Tampa, Florida, or um, and also people that couldn't afford that um, who were attending wanted would pay the 150 or 250 bucks for different educational licenses. So that conference blew the doors open for me and confirmed without a doubt who my target audience was. Um, I learned the lesson again and again, though, that you know you have to test your assumptions. You know, I've advised a lot of filmmakers since hanging up my boom pole and tripod um, four years ago. I've been advising filmmakers and teaching filmmakers, and I will tell you, you know, um, I, I'm good at this sort of work, but I'm never right on my first guess about a target audience. I always tell filmmakers, make your first guess and test it as quickly as possible because I can almost promise you you're wrong or there's a slight <laughs> pivot and just test it as quickly as possible. You think you're convinced, you'll see. Um, and again and again, um, you know, uh, conferences are a really great fit. And they don't have to be big conference. I, I was advising a film team. They were convinced their film was a good fit for marriage and family therapists. We live in L.A., um, both the filmmaker and I. We went to the L.A. chapter uh, marriage and Family Therapy Association uh, monthly meeting. There's only 200 or so marriage and family therapists all in the room. We gave a presentation. We showed a clip of the film. We talked about it. Crickets. And it's like, oh, okay, we're wrong. So then we ended up finding out a different, identifying a different audience, testing that, and then that was the bullseye. This is Claire. What I'd like you to do is go ahead and share with us your contact information, how people can reach out to you, learn more about your classes, things like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, Claire. And our website is showintel.film. And what we do is we help filmmakers execute the strategies we're talking about today. For a hybrid strategy, it's about making the most of live events, but also virtual events. So we actually have a virtual screening platform. And we help filmmakers do virtual events when they're in distribution, but also virtual fundraisers when they're in pre-production and production and post. So that's one aspect of what we do. And what Carol mentioned earlier is I do a lot of teaching. I love to teach. If I had another life, I'd probably be a professor. And um, I love sharing what I know and being as transparent as possible, sharing templates and examples um, so that you don't have to make the same mistakes I made in my process and I've seen filmmakers make in my advising them. And so we teach an educational, we have an educational community. I do coaching to filmmakers on their distribution and fundraising. I also have an online course which has over 50 lessons and we have a private Facebook group. And um, we do a near weekly, about three times a month, near weekly, every Thursday at 1 p.m. I do a webinar um, and uh, it's a free webinar about different topics. Uh, the whole month of July is dedicated to fundraising in non-traditional ways. And actually, I have the pleasure of doing a webinar with Carol on July 15th. And if you're, we're going to be talking about crowdfunding and partner funding. If you're listening to this after July 15th, you can go to our website, showandtell.film, click on Coaching, and you'll see our calendar of events to sign up for a free webinar and uh, learn more about what we do. Oh, that's fabulous. Now, Keith, I want you to talk more about uh, showandtell.film because um, I mentioned to you in a conversation we had about my friend Ryan Hetrick, who has made a brilliant video about autism and recovering from autism with diet, and uh, it's fabulous film. So he uh, joined you. He loves, I love the woman, the assistant you have. She's so intelligent, makes all the difficult stuff sound really easy to do. And it, it does turn out to be easy. Uh, but he chose the option that has the class with the uh, screenings. He bought three screenings and he bought the classes to go with it. Now, he's really learned a lot, and he told me that he added an educational and community package for screenings, licenses, uh, in the store section of his platform because you had suggested that in the teaching. And he's really excited over the virtual screening window because his market is mothers who do the cooking and take care of the kids. And he has some uh, mailing lists, uh, large ones, 
So he's a perfect fit for you to uh, bring in more money so he can continue to market his film and, uh, and heal, heal autistic children. So thank wow. you for what you've done. You know, I think that, uh, thank you, Carol, and, and I'm so glad Ryan's a part of the community. I've seen him in some of the webinars, and it's a pleasure having him. You know, one of the things that my motivation with Show and Tell is to help filmmakers, to guide filmmakers, to help filmmakers avoid mistakes in their journey towards career sustainability. And career sustainability, to me, translates to generating revenue for your film and um, building your audience. And, you know, and also, as you build your audience, catalyzing impact. And, um, and so I, I think that those three things are not mutually exclusive. Those, thing, those three things are complementary. You are going to generate more impact if you're generating revenue because the reality is we have bills to pay. We have families to feed. We have things to do. And a lot of things are competing for our time. And we can't work for free, at least not for long. <laughs> so the more you generate along your distribution journey, the more you're going to be able to dedicate, more time you'll be able to dedicate to your distribution. And the more impact, the more audience, the more important conversations you're going to catalyze. And so I believe that my mission with Show & Tell is to help filmmakers connect with their audiences, and to make money. And um, I know some filmmakers feel uncomfortable with the idea of oh, making money. It's like, that's not why I got into film. I agree. Getting into film to make money is a really bad <laughs> reason. <laughs> and, you know, but, but we got into film to tell important stories, to nudge the world in a better direction. And I think the best way you could do that is to have a sustainable career. And with Show & Tell, we help filmmakers with tools. So we have a virtual event platform that makes it easy and customizable to work with partners, to work with nonprofits, to work with companies, to host a virtual fundraiser if you're pre-picture lock or a virtual event if you're in distribution. You know, you can ask for tickets. You could have required tickets. You could ask for donations. You could do both, which is my recommendation. Um, you can recognize your partner with a hyperlink, their logo um, on your event page. You can um, even put a short commercial message that plays before your film. Um, you know, I, there's a lot you can do. And we provide, what well, that's the front end. That's the event page. On the back end, you can totally customize it. Set the dates, change the dates, add tickets, lower the ticket price, raise the ticket price, change the donations, donation amounts. Um, you can even have a store. So we make it easy with tools, with show and tell. And then perhaps the thing I'm most proud of is we provide knowledge. And knowledge is so important, as Carol and I were talking about with negotiating for a contract. You know, knowledge is going to give you strength and it's going to give you options. And I think that, you know, the knowledge that I'm providing is unique. Um, it, you know, what we do at Show & Tell it's really pushing filmmakers to embrace the hybrid approach. Make the deal with Netflix when you're in your consumer release stage. Get on PBS. We'll show you how to do that. But you should also prioritize conferences, partnerships, and fuel that success through understanding with clarity your target audience. And, um, and so we in our coaching, in our online course with over 50 lessons, in our private Facebook group, we help filmmakers understand um, strategies and tactics related to target audience identification, pitching partners, identifying partners, um, providing templates and tools. Um, and, you know, this whole month we also are doing webinars, a series of webinars focused on fundraising. Yes, you have so much to offer. This is wonderful. So I want to give the website address again so that people can go there and visit and learn more about all of your classes and webinars, etc. And that is showandtell.film, correct? That's correct. Thank you, Claire. Great. Yes, yes. Now, we are out of time. Um, I wish we had a little more time because there's 
so much. You have a wealth of information to share. And Carol, was there anything else here for you as well? well we just want to make sure at, at showandtell.film we can find out about the future events and uh, also your uh, conversations with you or questions or working with you as a strategist. How do we do that? The best way to reach out is through show and tell. I don't do a whole lot of one-on-one consulting work. Um, I do that in tandem with Peter, with Peter Broderick. Um, but mm-hmm. um, but I, I have limited time for that. But what we do with show and tell is we do group coaching. And that has been really effective because I'm a good teacher, yes, but other filmmakers are great teachers too. So that's we're trying to foster a community. Right now we have over 200 filmmakers that are a part of it, which is fabulous. Oh, fantastic. So fast. That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Keith, for this information. We really appreciate your time. And and we thank you for your heart because we can hear from you how much you care about filmmakers. And thank you for the work you're doing. Oh, thank you, Carol. That means a lot. And from the heart, that means a lot from the president from the heart Productions. So thank thank you, Carol. Thanks for having me. That was a really fun conversation. Okay, wonderful. Thanks a lot, Claire. Okay, thank yeah. you. And thank you, Claire. Thank you. Thanks. Okay. All right, Bye-bye. you're welcome. Be well, everyone. Thanks. I want to remind our listeners that David Raiklin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at davidraiklin.com. That's david, R-A-I-K-L-E-N.com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to The Art of Film Funding. Please visit our website at fromtheheartproductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone.